That's the worst part is making sure my microphone is going to work. I hate that part of the job. <laughs> hey, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to minister here again, and I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the authority of the house, uh, you know, taking a chance on us and allowing us to have the pulpit tonight. Um, it means a lot to us, and um, we're going to be in Hebrews, the ninth chapter tonight, but I began thinking this week, and uh, as I began to study this thing, I began to just, I was studying a little bit of the book of Revelation, and ended up going through the first chapter, just kind of reading over a little bit, and, and I began to see where Jesus begins to call himself the Alpha and the Omega, he says, I'm the beginning and the end, and he begins to tell us that he is the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. And so I thought about just my life and, and experiences I've had and, and uh, the graciousness of God that, uh, of, of things that he's done to me and for me. And, uh, you know, I began to actually think that <laughs> I, I can't continue in my life to, to continue to serve a God who was. All right? Are you hearing me? And, and so many churches, so many Christians are, are serving a God who was. They're, they're serving a God of their salvation. Um, and, and at that point of salvation, they're serving a God that, that blessed their grandma and their grandpa. They're, they're serving a God who worked in their lives yesterday. They're, they're serving a God that, of their past. But then they're also serving a God of their future, only focused on heaven. They're focused about, uh, you know, they're, they're looking at heaven. They're uh, almost, and, and don't get mad at me, but this is how I feel in my heart. They're almost um, greedy Christians. Because all they care about is their streets of gold, their jasper walls, their, their pearled cities and their mansions. And, and most of the time, out of the speech of a Christian, when you ask them about heaven, most of the time, 80 to 85% of the time, the first thing they'll say is, one day I can't wait to get in my mansion. It's not I can't wait to see the face of Jesus. It's not I can't wait to see loved ones. It's not I can't wait to, to be stripped of this body and, and to be able to actually be connected and united with God on a face-to-face, spirit-to-spirit level that He created for me to share with Him. It's usually I want the, I want the streets of gold. I want the walls of Jasper. I want the mansion. And, and, and we think so humanistically about a God that is to come. And we begin to worship heaven instead of worshiping the God that's going to give us an inheritance in heaven. Now, I'm as excited to have those things as anybody else, man. I am. I, I thank God that the eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for me and you. I thank God that I'm going to enjoy beauty. I thank God for all those things. But my salvation and my eternity is already settled. It's already settled. I've already bought my plane ticket, so to speak. There's nothing I can do to change about my heaven. Heaven will be heaven for me when it's my time to go and be in heaven. And I can look forward to heaven and I can be excited about heaven, but heaven cannot be, um, heaven cannot be my only primary focus. See, it gets quiet when you talk about this stuff because we're all guilty of it. But he also said, I am the God who is. And so what I've found going to different churches and having the opportunity to do this is, is a lot of your churches will go when they, all that they will preach is salvation. I'm going to somewhere. This is just my opening. But all they'll do is they'll talk about salvation. And bless God for salvation. Without salvation, man, that's our starting point to the kingdom. That's where all of us begin. All of us have, were born again and all of us started at the same uh, starting line. 
we all started and came through salvation through the blood of Jesus. And and once you're saved, your final destination to the finish line will all be the same. But the problem is, is that in the American church, so many people are beginning to just stay focused on salvation and that's all they preach. Why, Why is that a problem? Because the church, don't be mad, (laughs) smile at me a little bit. The church was not built, nor was it established for the sinner. It was not built, nor was it established for the unbeliever. Does that mean that we reject them? Absolutely not. But the church is a place for the believer. A church and the sanctuary of the church is a place where you and I, as born-again believers, come in together and we fellowship and we're discipled and we're instructed in the Word of God and we come in and we worship together and we fellowship one with another and we learn the Word of God and we get built up and we become discipled as Christians in the body of Christ. The church, the building, the place, the place where we gather, we are the church. This place was not built for the unsaved world. This place was built and established according to the scriptures for the body of Christ. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We want unsaved to come here. We want people to experience God. We want people to come here and get saved. But that will only be a result of what's going on in this house to the body of believers in here. So, so when Bishop is here, we saw that he just, uh, you know, led us through a, a three-week series that really began to focus on the unsaved world. But if you'll look and really see what he began to do, he began to activate us to go out and do the work of an evangelist. Understand that that's what the church is to do. The church comes here, we get edified, we become discipled here and we go out into our workplaces, our society, our world, and we, we lead people to Christ and get them born again, bring them into the house of God so they can be discipled by the word of God, and then they can go out and bring other people in. And so that is the purpose of the church. So you've got a church that always preaches about the salvation experience, and the problem with that is this, is that once you've been saved... You need more than that to grow in the kingdom of God. And so we've got churches full of 40, 50 people. No matter what the number is, we've got churches full of saved people that are coming to the same church every week hearing the same message, being taught how they get born again, and they've already been born again, and they've been born again for the past 20 years and have no idea why revival can't happen in their church, have no idea why the unsaved people aren't coming in, have no idea why things aren't happening in their house, have no idea why they can't experience the tangible presence of a holy God, have no idea why these things aren't happening and continue Continue to look back and say, buddy, 20 years ago, the Holy Ghost used to move in this house. That's because 20 years ago, you had an active church believing in the God who is. (laughs) And the church today is looking back, reminiscing about the God who was. Or the other situation of the church is to look at the God who is to come, which also takes our focus off the now. Because I'm secure and settled on where I'm going. But my focus cannot stay there or I'll miss my assignment and my destiny and my fulfillment here. I'll miss what God has for me here. Let me just give you some revelation. If you have breath in your body, you still have an assignment God has given you for the kingdom. As long as you are living, there is still a purpose for your existence here on this earth. 
So if you are blessed enough to wake up tomorrow morning, there is a purpose and a destiny and a commission God has placed on your life for you to fulfill for the kingdom of God. Not for the God who is to come, not for the God who was, but the God who wants to be the now God in your today and the now God in someone's life tomorrow. And, and the problem is, uh, I want to talk to you tonight about that. And, and when we, because we have that mentality, we have a misunderstanding of what the blood of Jesus was, what the blood of Jesus is, and what the blood of Jesus is to come. Really tonight, I had to start out that way, but really my topic tonight is going to be a simple message I would call, The Blood Speaks. The Blood of Jesus Speaks. And so it's the same situation. Why did I paint those scenarios for you? Because the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary made the provision for you and I to be born again. Okay? The blood of Jesus was shed on the cross so that you and I could become born again. The blood of Jesus, when you begin to read even in the book of Revelation, it says that blood has a voice, blood begins to speak to God, and the blood of the martyrs are crying out to a holy God saying, When shall be the day of our vengeance? The blood of Jesus purchased our future, our eternity, our home in a sinless heaven. Not even the heaven that is today. It's a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem that that John saw coming down. As glorious as the heaven is today that we read about in the Bible, we won't even enter into that heaven because eye nor ear has seen or heard the things which God has prepared for you and I. It's a brand new thing that the blood has purchased for our future. But I'm just silly enough and crazy enough to believe that the blood of Jesus is still speaking and, 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 and standing as a mediator for my life now. I believe that there are areas in my life where the blood of Jesus is speaking in my behalf and it's speaking over me and it's speaking life into me. But the problem is we've got to understand and perceive and understand what the blood is saying over us. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 10, you all know the, uh, the story about Cain who rose up and killed Abel. Cain goes and begins to bring God a sacrifice. Now, I've read a lot of different books on this, and some people say that it was okay, the sacrifice that Cain brought. It was just his heart. A lot of people will tell you that it was okay because he was a tiller of the ground and he was trying to bring to God, you know, the, the fruits of, of his job and his labor. And, and Abel, we know, brought to God as a sacrifice the lamb. But I tend, and I've read it all, so don't argue with me after I ain't going to change my mind. I believe that the reason God did not accept that sacrifice is because God's requirement to forgive sin is the blood. It is the blood. In Leviticus 17, 11, God said, I have given for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes an atonement or a covering for your blood, for your sin, for your lives. The blood of Jesus, the blood, the blood has a voice. And so here you look and and you see that Cain came and he brought his fruits. Now, interesting about these fruits, when you study it out, it was actually the third pickings of fruit. Let me explain it to you this way. I am an avid Ohio State Buckeye football fan. I love them. I know. (laughs) But I've loved them since I was a little kid, man. I loved them. I I thought they were were Polka High School, actually, is how I started liking them because of the uniform colors. But, But because I love the Ohio State Buckeyes, I equally hate the Michigan Wolverines. 
I don't know that I love Ohio State more or dislike the, the Michigan Wolverines more. I'm not sure which one it is, but it is just as much love for one as I have disrespect for the other. It's just rivalry. It's just all fun. But what that means is that you could not come to me, and if you came to me and you gave me, and Pastor CT brings me an F-150 truck, My buddy Justin brings me a t-shirt of the Michigan Wolverines. I will not accept that shirt in my possession. It will not be on my body. It will not be in my house. It will not be in my car. It will not be anywhere around me. It will not touch my daughter or my family. That thing will not have anything to do in the Totten household as long as this Totten is alive. That is the type of sacrifice Cain brought to God. The first fruits would have been the very best. The second fruits would have been the thing that he sells uh, on wholesale, so to speak. Uh, You've all been to Walmart, and maybe sometimes you've been in the meat section. You see the butcher putting out the fresh meat, and it might cost like seven bucks per steak. But you've got one set of meat underneath there that expires that day or the day, uh, the next day or something like that. The expiration date's almost down on it. And that same size steak's only four bucks. That's the second pickings, the second fruit. It's not quite as good as the first. But the third fruit is what Cain brought unto God and presented unto him. In other words, he brought him the scraps, stuff that he would have thrown out and let the deer and the hogs and the pigs or whatever come eat anyway. He brought him that. But Abel brings him something that speaks to the heart of God. Abel brings him a lamb. He brings him a lamb. And let me tell you what he did with the lamb. It is not here, but I can prove it to you through the Old Testament. This is exactly what he did with the lamb. He picked out the very best lamb that he had. Without spot, without blemish, he brings it to God. He slits its throat. He bleeds the animal. And then he presents that animal to God. If God ever accepted a sacrifice prior to the cross of Christ, it always came mingled with blood. Blood was the requirement that God required from people in the Old Testament. In the book of Hebrews that we're going to read, um, you, you see that in, in the book of Hebrews where we're going to read, um, I wish that I could just take time and just begin to teach week after week on the book of Hebrews. Man, I love it. There's so much uh, depth within that thing. But I begin to look there, and, and in Hebrews chapter 9, he begins to talk about this. He begins to talk and just tell us about the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle. He begins to say that there are two rooms that that are in the main function of the tabernacle. Number one, you've got the inner courts. In the inner courts is where where the other priest, not the high priest, but the other priest would minister before God every single day. They would come in and they would have ceremonial washings and cleansings and and, and they would begin to present the table of showbread and the candlestick and all these things to God. And and, and the Bible tells us that it was a type and a shadow of what was to come. But constantly, 24 hours a day, there was ministry going on in the outer courts. Constantly. Then the other building was what they called the holiest of holies, the holy of holies. Inside of it, 
was the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. On top of the mercy seat were two cherubim, two angels that had their wings touching one another and bowing down. And when the high priest would come in once a year, he would take the blood of of a spotless lamb and he would begin to sprinkle first himself and his family because God required blood to atone for sin. God required something to die because of sin. He either required the man that had the sin on his life to die or he allowed the substitute being in that lamb to die for the man and the atoning sacrifice of that lamb and the blood that was shed by that lamb forgave the sin of that person and that family for the next 365 days, the next year. And after he had gone and sprinkled himself with blood and made sure he did all his right rituals so that he wouldn't die, he began to walk into the holies of holies. And the Bible says that he took some hyssop and he began to mix it with water and blood. And he began to sprinkle it seven times on the north, seven times on the south, seven times in the middle. There's just blood everywhere. He goes in that place and he just begins to paint that place with blood. He begins to put blood before he goes in on his right ear, his right toe, his right thumb. He had to do so many rituals. There were bells that were hanging down around the bottom of the high priest's gown. The reason that there were bells and pomegranates, the reason is, is because had they not gone through the rituals the right way and had there been found sin in their life that was unconfessed, if they walked into the glory of God uncovered by the blood, they would instantly die because flesh and sin cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. And so as he would walk in behind the veil every year, no doubt with fear in his heart, what that was, understand in the Old Testament, is something you had to repeat year after year after year after year. And what it did is it did not focus to hope. There was no hope in that. It did not provide joy. It did not provide peace. All it did was create a sin consciousness in, in a person's mind constantly every day when they woke up they knew they were worthless and they were a nobody and they were a failure they knew that had it not been for the blood man I have messed up and said the wrong thing again did the wrong thing went the wrong place did the wrong thing over and over again every day they're waking up with a sin consciousness in their life Every day they're waking up and having to look themselves in the mirror and saying, I stand here as a, as a, as a, a worthless nobody and a worm and a failure Every day they understood and understand that when you begin to look here in the Old Testament, the picture you begin to see, you begin to see for days, you begin to see whole families begin to stress out and get worried because they got to find the best. My goodness, if we don't find the best one, honey, you need, we need to examine these things and examine them close because our whole future relies on whatever blood we present to the Lord. Our entire future is going to depend on the choices that we make. It's going to depend on the sacrifice that we bring unto God. And so we've got to make sure we get the right one. We've got to make sure I don't care how much it costs me. If we pick the wrong one, we'll die. We'll lose our covenant with God. We'll never see the face of God. We'll never experience the presence of God. Their whole entire future and destiny for the whole next year, whether they were poor or whether they were blessed, whether they were, you know, happy or sad, everything depended on the choice they made in picking the lamb that would shed the blood. Can you imagine because there was that much blood, there was so much blood. When you ask people and historians, there was so much blood shed during the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which we just started last week. Uh, uh, there was so much blood on that day shed that it began to come down the mountain like a river. 
It began to come down the mountain literally like a river. There was so much blood shed for so many people. There was blood everywhere. They were stained with blood. They smelled like blood. There was blood everywhere. They knew the choice that they were going to make. Everything, their whole future, everything they were, relied on the blood. Now read with me in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 6. The Bible says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service for God. But then to the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood. For he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. When stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances in, uh, imposed to them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. But if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called mighty receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now that's a mouthful. What it's saying is this, is everything that we've talked to you about up to this point, God says is worthless. Everything that they went through, all the turmoil, all the frustration, all the stress, everything that they did was pointless. The Bible says that it was just something that signified what would happen to the church through the Holy Ghost at some point in the future. So they began to wash themselves every single day. This is why. So that they would know they could not be clean on by themselves. They began to go and take this blood every single day. And as they walked down off that mountain, they could not forget their sin, nor could they forget the blood was what saved them because they were stained with blood. The Old Testament, as wonderful as it was, could you imagine taking a lamb? Because, man, that fathoms my mind. It should actually get us excited that a little old lamb could be slain. And that blood and that lamb had enough power to forgive every single error that I'm going to make for the next 365 days. A little lamb that stands about this tall that stink that I've taken care of, that I've provided for. The blood in that animal, 
that weak, timid, dumb animal had enough power to forgive my sin of me and my family for the entire next year. Yet I continue to live with the guilt. I continue to live with the shame because I knew I could only enjoy my salvation for a day or two because it was time to begin to raise the next lamb that I would have to present to God the following year. See, they didn't just go out and grab something on their way to the tabernacle. Immediately, as soon as they gave that that year's lamb, they immediately had to go out and probably buy a litter of them so they could have a choice to find the best one money could buy and begin to do it all over again. So they could only enjoy their salvation probably from the time that they gave the lamb until the time they got home because now it's time to begin to think about next year. I promise you I'm going somewhere. Stay with me for five, ten more minutes. The blood in the Old Testament, as powerful as it was, The Bible says that Jesus did not do away with that. He didn't do away with the Old Covenant. He didn't do away with the Old Testament. He fulfilled the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. See, this isn't in my notes, but can I I just go somewhere with you? I wish I had time. I I wish I had time to prove to you why I believe this. And and, and I'm just going to mention it just real briefly. It it doesn't really mean a whole lot necessarily, but I got to... I have to tell you this, there's a purpose behind it. I believe that when Jesus was here on the earth, he began to talk to his disciples and he said this. He said, no man at any time has ever heard the voice of God, the Father. Okay? Jesus said that. John chapter 8, I believe. He says, no man at any time, no man ever in history, Jesus says, has ever heard the voice of the Father. Except for me, the Son of Man, Jesus. He says, no man at any time ever in history has ever seen with his eyes God nor his image at any time except for me, the Son, the Son of God, Jesus. He says, no man, no flesh. Are you hearing me? Are you with me? No flesh, no man has ever seen the image of the Father, has never seen the Father, has never heard the Father, Except me, Jesus, the Son of Man. So my question to you is who spoke to Moses in the burning bush? Who walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day? It doesn't make it any less uh, miraculous that it could have been the, the, the Jesus before he became flesh. Because Jesus' assignment in the Godhead Trinity, this is what you have. You've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are all equal in deity, meaning that they are all God. But they are submissive in their duties and their responsibilities. Yet they coexist with one another. God the Father is, was, always has been, always will be seated on His throne in heaven. He's never been off His throne. Heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. The Father occupies heaven. He upholds everything by the power of his word. The Father is the very stimulus, the very core of all creation and everything that's living. He is the the glue, the gel, the thing that holds everything together is the Father. He holds it together by the word, which is Jesus. 
Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, and the Word became, which means He wasn't always Do you understand Jesus didn't come into existence the day that he was placed by the Holy Ghost in the womb of a virgin Mary? That's the day that he became flesh and dwelt among us. But he's always been Jesus from that point all the way back. And he'll always be Jesus from that point all the way forward. But that day he became the Son of Man. Not the Son of God, because He's always been the Son of God. That day, He left His authority, His, His, His rights to operate as God, left them willfully, and He came by choice to heaven to operate on the earth as a sinless man, later being filled with the Holy Ghost and walking this earth not as the Son of God. He operated here as the Son of Man. I'm not putting down his deity. He is the son of God. He did not operate here on the earth as the son of God. He is coming back as the son of God. He came here as the son of man and died because man lost the covenant between God and man. So a man had to come and purchase the covenant back. Had to be done through a man. When God prophesies this in Genesis 3.15, this is what he says. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you, devil, and the seed of a woman. He's saying there shall be flesh to rise up against you because you've come into the earth, come in through man. That's why the Bible says that sin came into Adam and therefore sin passes to every man. The sin came into the, into the flesh, into the man. And so it passes. My daughter is as much a sinner as anybody that's ever been born. Thank God she's got grace because she doesn't understand and know what she's doing. But she's a sinner. She's a liar. I love my daughter. I give her grace, but she lies to me all the time. I put her in that room to go to bed, and she begins, Dada! And I go running back there to see what's wrong. Ain't nothing wrong. She just wants me in there. I asked her the other day. She had chocolate all over her face. I said, baby, did you eat a cookie daddy told you not to? No. She's a liar. She didn't, I didn't teach her how to be a liar. I did not teach her how to be a sinner. I'm trying to teach her how to find her way and find Jesus at some point. I'm trying to walk right before her so that one day she can walk in my footsteps and find the risen Savior. I didn't teach her to lie. I didn't teach her to steal. My goodness, we were in the grocery store the other day, and when we got to the car, we got home and we're unpacking our groceries, and I said, honey, what would you get ranch packets for? She's saying in a ranch packet. My little girl grabbed ranch packs and put it down in the little toy bucket we bought her. She stole. <laughs> I didn't teach her to steal. She was born that way. She was born with a sin nature. No one had to teach her. She got it from her daddy. Because her daddy, she was born not from me in the spirit. She was born from me in the flesh. Now, my daughter is a Caucasian little girl. The reason she is a Caucasian little girl is because her daddy is a Caucasian man and her mommy is a Caucasian woman. We did not pray or sow seed or try to believe God to have a Caucasian little girl. She is a Caucasian little girl because her mommy and daddy are Caucasian and we passed that DNA on to her and she became a Caucasian little girl. I didn't try to make her that way. She was just born that way. 
Ain't nothing I could do to change it. She was born that way because of the DNA in me and her mommy. Understand that in, in the sin condition, you and I were born as sinners separated from God. We were born with the DNA of our father. Bible says in John chapter 8 that you are of your father the devil. The devil is a liar and the father of it. He's talking to the Pharisees. So you begin to see here that, uh, that I believe that Jesus... Now this is why it's so important. I don't mean to get off track. Let me... I'm trying to wrap it up. I really am. But listen. The reason that's so important to me is because you've got to understand that you and I once we're born again are the seed of Abraham. We fall positionally un- under the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. We are the seed of Abraham. God said this when he begins to establish a covenant with Abraham. He begins to say this. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. And he said, I'm going to give you two seeds. I'm going to give you a seed which will be like the sands of the sea. I'm going to give you a seed that will outnumber the stars of the heaven. Those are two seeds. Seed number one, the sands of the sea. It also speaks of the natural, uh, the natural seed of the Jews. It also speaks of the seed through Ishmael, which are the Arabs. The Bible says Ishmael was a wild man that was withdrawn from the desert. That is what we see today from those people. The Arab nation has risen up and they're wild and resentful. And and, and that's because of that seed, uh, because God didn't make any difference between it. He said, Abraham, whatever seed you produce, that's what I'm going to bless. That's what I'm going to multiply. Gave Abraham a choice. Abraham got ahead of God. Abraham went in and, and made a move in the flesh, therefore birthed flesh, birthed sin. He waited for the promise, and the Bible says though he was 100 and Sarah was 90, he did not stagger at the promise of God, nor did he let that uh, you know, get in his mind, but he remained faithful knowing that God will do exactly what he said he would do. He began to have Isaac, right? Isaac is the seed of promise. That is the covenant that speaks of the stars of the heaven. That's where you and I come in. <laughs> we have a heavenly covenant with the Father through Abraham, because we are the seed of Abraham. Oh, now that sounds great, but you got to understand what the seed of Abraham gives us. See, that's where we mess up. you got to understand what the seed of Abraham does for you. Let me tell you how this covenant was established. This covenant, when they went, and, and God says this, he begins to tell Abraham covenant. Well, they understood covenant. And, and he begins to tell Abraham, he says, Abraham, this is my end of the covenant. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. He said, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. As far as your eye can see, anything that you can see, and everywhere your foot shall touch, and anything your hand shall touch shall be blessed, and I will give it to you as an inheritance. The reason Israel, I, I know this for a fact, you, you can read it through the Bible and trace it out. You can, un, you can look at a map of Israel, go to the Bible, and you can see all the places the Bible records Abraham being. And the reason that that is Israel is because Abraham step there. That's why Israel goes all the way down. It goes all the way down into, into Egypt. That's why. Because he went down there. Everywhere his foot touch was blessed. Now, there is two parts of a covenant. The other part of the covenant is, is he said, listen, Abraham, I'm going to do all that for you. And Abraham, I'm sure, is just excited and pumped up. Excited about his future, his destiny, his purpose. They found a true and living God that loves him. And God said, this is your part. You're going to walk before me and you're going to be holy and you're going to be righteous. And then he tells Abraham, he said, I need you to go down and get these five animals. I need you to get get a a lamb, a goat, a a heifer, a turtle dove, and a a pigeon. 
Abraham doesn't ask any questions because Abraham understands custom of the day. Abraham understands covenant. Abraham goes down, gets the five animals, cuts them in half, and he makes half of the animal over here, half of the animal over here, and he begins to make a row. Five animals on this side, five halves of an animal on this side. The matching half is on this side, and it begins to pull blood right in the middle. Understand there's a covenant about ready to be made. Abraham knows that. Let me explain to you how, what kind of covenant this is. It was, a, it was an old blood covenant. And this is how that you would do the blood covenant. You and I, Pastor C.T. and I, would make a covenant together, a blood covenant. I would give my terms. He would give his terms. We would agree. We would cut these animals up and have the blood pulled together. He and I would hold hands at the, at the beginning of this thing. We would walk through the blood together with a splashing all over us, walk through all that blood. We would let go of our hands. I would turn this way. He would turn this way. We would meet back together at the end. We would hold hands. We would walk through the blood a second time. Why is all that necessary? Because what was happening is this. Abraham knew what this blood covenant this way represents is this. Is if either one of us at any time break our end of the deal, if we break our word, if we break the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to you also. In other words, you're saying, if I lie, if I can't fulfill my end of the covenant, you can kill me. If you, Pastor C.T., cannot fulfill your end of the covenant, I can kill you. We have just made a blood-sworn oath that cannot be broken. That was law. There was no changing that law. There was no amending that law. If he and I went into a covenant together, understand that he could do that, and even my next generation could go after his family because that blood covenant held, and that blood covenant meant everything. So can you imagine Abraham now is just like these people that, that understand the blood of the lamb every year that they're bringing. He understands there that, man, God's going to be my God. I'm going to be his people. He's going to bless me, make my name great, you know, prosper me. But I can't walk holy before him. Before a holy God, really? I can't be righteous before a holy God. You and I and ourselves before, see, because you're looking as a born-again believer. I'm talking before Christ ever went to the cross, before there was ever the Holy Spirit ever available to you and I. That's where Abraham's at. Abraham says, I can't stand worthy and righteous before you. Gosh, I love what God does. I love the word because this is what happens. He meets him there anyway. Abraham cuts and prepares the covenant. The blood's going everywhere. And Abraham knows he's going to have to join up with this God and walk through the blood himself. But the Bible says God doesn't do that. He put him in a trance-like state and allows him to see a vision. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that we are born again under the Abrahamic covenant by two immutable or unchanging things. There are two immutable or unchanging things that seal our deal in this covenant with the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham's laying there against the trees, looking at the blood, understands what's going on, and he sees two images appear. He sees a smoking furnace, and he begins to see a candlestick. He sees the smoking furnace and the candlestick join up together, and he sees them walk down through the blood. Let me tell you why that's so important, because just as gracious as God is, he is also just. As righteous and holy as he is, he is also a loving God. It is showing us the two immutable things, the two immutable characteristics of God. It is showing us in the candlestick the love of God, the grace of God, the light of God, the, the word of God, the love of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God. But in the smoking furnace, it represents to us just like we would see futuristic in the blood sacrifice. It's showing us that sin requires death. 
It's showing that I cannot stand before sin. It's showing that God will have nothing to do with sin. It is showing the two immutable characteristics of God walking through that blood. So why is it so important for me to believe that it was Jesus who spoke to every man just like Jesus claimed? Because if it were Jesus, and I believe it was, I wish I had time to show you, I will sometime. If it were Jesus, this is what he did. He said, Abraham, I'm getting ready to establish a new thing. I'm getting ready to be your God. I'm getting ready to make your name great. I'm getting ready to bless you. I'm getting ready to curse those who curse you. I'm getting ready to prosper you in every area of your life. Everywhere your foot touches, I'm going to give to you as an inheritance. Everything your hand touches is yours. You just got to walk holy and righteous before me. Understand that if either one of us break our end of the covenant, it means we'll die. So Jesus says, Abraham, I'm going to take you out of the equation. And I'm going to swear an oath, the book of Hebrews says, by no other name than my own name. And so Jesus, I believe, walked through the blood by himself. And the reason he walked through the blood is he declared that day, I shall be your God. You shall be my people. I will bless you in your uprising and your downsetting. I will be your God. And you will walk holy and righteous before me. But if you can't, I'll walk through the blood for you. He was pronouncing over his life that if you and I can't be righteous or good enough or holy enough, that he will make a provision and he will walk through the blood himself declaring that I will take the responsibility of the punishment that sin will require from you. Understand he was sealing the deal. He was saying I will be your God. He was, he was telling Abraham there will come a day when my people shall be righteous and they shall be holy and it will have nothing to do with them. It will have to do with me. The salvation covenant is not between me and God. It is between the Father and the Son and I am a beneficiary of that covenant and of that will. I did nothing to get it. I can do nothing to keep it. I'll do nothing to keep it in the future. Jesus by himself went to the Father and the Father of the book of Revelations looks and he says, who is worthy to go and unloose the scroll? Who is worthy to go for me and to loose this scroll and to let my people go? And the Bible says that the line of the tribe of Judah, King Jesus, they, they looked at him and the king as they looked at the king of Judah. Lo, he became a, a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And the elders and the angels began to say, he is worthy. He is worthy to go and unloosen the scroll. He is worthy to receive honor and glory and power and dominion and authority forever and ever and ever. Jesus was the Lamb of God. That covenant, I am a beneficiary. If you continue to read chapter 9, understand that we call them testaments, but you could call them wills because a testament is a will. You've got the old will of God and you've got the New Testament or the new will of God. Understand that His will is His Word. It is right here. Well, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. Then you haven't read the will. You haven't read the will. The will from Genesis to Malachi is the old covenant, the old will. There are things in there that you and I are partakers of now only because it was speaking of types and shadows of things that would come in the New Testament. That's why still when I do some things that the Old Testament teaches us, if it applies to the New Covenant, then I can have it in my life. Everything in the Old Testament, nothing was done away with. It all pointed to the New Testament. So every promise of the Old Testament is now fulfilled and made available to me and you through the New Testament. Now understand what Jesus does is after he dies, 
Bible says he takes his own blood (laughs) and he presents it to the Father. Presents it to the Father. And he says there that as he presents it to the Father, (laughs) he decided and he looked around and he understood that the old tabernacle, Solomon's tabernacle, was just a blueprint. He got the blueprint from the tabernacle which is in heaven. Jesus takes the blood of himself, the blood of the lamb. He sprinkles it on the articles of clothing on the outside, the, 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 uh, the inner sanctuary. The Bible says he walks behind the veil. It's all right there in the book of Hebrews. He walks behind the veil into the holies of holies. And he takes his own blood and he begins to sprinkle it on the mercy seat which is in heaven. Now, I am convinced of one thing and you could never change my mind to it. When Cain killed Abel, God who is omnipotent, omniscient, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, immutable, and you can continue just to say these characteristics of God. Saul, I believe, with his eyes, everything that goes on in earth. I believe he hears everything that goes on. I believe God is all-knowing. That's what the Bible teaches us. But he looks down when Cain kills Abel. And he tries to give Cain an out number when he says, Man, if you would do well, would I not bless you also? But when you don't do well, sin lieth at the door. And it wants to overtake you. He says, where's your brother Abel? He says, God, am I my brother's keeper? And this is the response God gave. He didn't say, I saw you kill him. He didn't say, well, you know, it's justified because you brought me a bad offering and I kind of upset you. He didn't say, I heard it from a neighbor. He didn't say that the the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself, entered into heaven like he did in the book of Job and told them anything happened. He said, I know your brother is dead. Why? Because I hear his blood crying out to me from the ground. He says, there's a million ways that I could have known this happened. But the moment that you killed him, his blood cried out to me from the ground. It cried out justice for the wrong that had been done to him. It cried out sin on behalf of Cain. It cried out, uh, you know, failure. It cried out. God knew that Cain killed Abel for no other reason than he heard the voice of his blood crying out to him from the ground. Blood has a voice. In Revelation, the Bible says that the blood of the martyrs is crying and pleading with God saying, when shall you avenge this wrong that was done to us? It doesn't say they're standing there talking to him. They're not going and standing in line around the throne. It says that there is the voice of the blood of the martyrs that is crying out into the ears of God. Blood has a voice. Blood has a voice. The blood of Jesus was taken into the holies of holies, which is in heaven. It was taken and it was sprinkled upon the mercy seat. It was dipped and it began to coat all the, all the articles of, of, of worship that were a type and a shadow that were in heaven and presented in heaven. He took the blood of the Lamb and He placed it on the mercy seat which is in heaven. Why is that so important? 
Because the new covenant is made on better promises by better things. The blood of Jesus. Understand that a will, if I, I have a will for my family, I have a will, my wife and my daughter are the beneficiaries of my will. They will have the authority to everything I own and have and was in this life when I die. But it does them no good until I'm dead. They can't go get my stuff right now. They can't go spend my money all by themselves right now. That will means nothing until I'm dead. The will of God, the covenant... That was given to us. This covenant, this this thing made on better things and better promises. You all come and give us a song, please. This covenant was made on better things. It became activated because the one who wrote it, Jesus, died. Therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant. Now, why is this so important? The reason that all of that is important is because when Jesus took the blood and placed it on the mercy seat, the mercy seat only cried out sin. Are you understanding me? Because the Old Testament, the way that it was. Every year we talked about when I go back, I have to face all my failures, all my inabilities. I have to face my sickness, my disease, my problems, my failures, everything over and over and over. But the Bible says that Jesus entered in behind the veil once and for all. And he took his own blood and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat which is in heaven. And that blood had a voice that began to speak into the very ears of the Father. It began to cry mercy in our behalf. See, you've got to understand that this is important. This is so important. This is why. Because the blood of Jesus has a voice. The blood of Jesus, understand what the covenant did for me. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement for my peace was upon him. And with his stripes I am healed. He on the cross was made poor that I might become rich. He has redeemed me from the curse of the law. For it is written, cursed is every man that hangs on the cross. In the curse of the law, you're looking at physical sickness, death, and disease. You're looking at poverty, lack, and want. And you're looking at spiritual death. He redeemed me and you from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree. Understand that when he shed that blood, it meant more than just stamping you a ticket to heaven. It meant more than just giving you goosebumps and the ability to join some organization or some church. The blood of Jesus speaks on the mercy seat now and it declares, I don't care what Jimmy did, he asked for forgiveness and I declare he is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The blood is speaking in the ears of the Father right here and right now. It is speaking. It is constantly speaking into the ears of the Father. He hears that, listen, I know that, I know he's a man. I know that the doctor gave him a bad report, but I hear the blood say that by his stripes he is healed. I hear the blood say when he enters in, hear ye, hear ye. A child of God has just entered in to the gates of glory and into God's presence. The blood of Jesus speaks for us now. It is speaking into the ears of God. It's not a blood that spoke for me. It's not a blood that's going to speak for me. It is a blood. And we're going to have an altar call. But if someone could just get a hold of the word right now, God could set you free right now. Because it is the word of God and hearing the word and receiving that word that makes that connection. It's not about someone touching you and spitting on you and rolling you around.
It's the Word of God. It's hearing down in your spirit. Enough is enough. I no longer am going to look at my life and be reminded. Listen, we've got to get out of our stinking thinking. And we've got to quit thinking, well, I'm just not good enough. My goodness, that's the old covenant. My sin is not covered by the blood of Jesus in the New Testament. My sin is removed from me in the New Testament. And I am covered by the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, sin could only mask who I really am. But in the New Testament, old things have passed away and all things have become new in my life. The man that I was is dead in Christ Jesus. He's somewhere and he'll never be resurrected again because that sin has been taken off of me. Yes, I've messed up. Yes, I've made mistakes. But I refuse to live in bondage any longer for something that Christ has already taken care of for me in my life. I will not be bound. I will not not be broke, busted, and disgusted. I will leave this world a winner and a victor because the victory has already been paid for me. And the blood is speaking in the ears of the Father right now. He's forgiven. He's redeemed. He's accepted in the beloved. That blood speaks for you and I. And it tells us, listen, there is no sin consciousness in Him anymore. Sure, He messes up. Sure, He messes up. But I became sin for him. (laughs) Even though I knew no sin, I became sin for him that he might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Stand to your feet. If you're here this evening, listen to me. If you have asked Jesus to become your Savior, you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. And and don't take this wrong. Don't mess up my words. But it, it does not matter what you've been through in your life. I don't care how, how messed up and how grotesque that it was. The blood of Jesus purchased healing for you in that area. I don't care who did it for you. I don't care if you feel like you're not loved. You're a nobody. You're a nothing. You're a failure. You're a worm. No, that's who you used to be. God did not purchase with his precious blood garbage or trash. You're not garbage and you're not trash. You're not the third fruits. You're not the hand-me-downs. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are a joint heir with Jesus, an heir of the Father, and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The person that you used to be is dead and behind you and in your past. Why are you digging that person back up? Step on the devil's head and tell him, you can't have me. I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. There's nothing you can say to me that could come again. You know why no weapon formed against me shall prosper? Do you know why? Because the blood of Jesus disarmed all principalities and powers, making a spectacle for him. The trend, the, the ordinances, uh, handwriting of ordinances that were against me, the law that was contrary to me, the thing that, called, that, that said, Jimmy, listen, you're in this life, so you've got to die of cancer. It's what the doctors tell me. I've survived it three times. And if it rears its ugly face again, I'll defeat it then too. Because it's not my battle. The blood of Jesus speaks in my behalf. Three times it's presented itself to me. And three times the blood of Jesus has has taken it away. Listen, the blood of Jesus fights my battles. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the living God on the inside of me. Listen, man, healing, my goodness, healing is flowing through your veins tonight, right now. You're not waiting to get healed. Healing's on the inside of you because the blood's been applied. 
Forgiveness is on the inside of you because the blood's been applied. Authority is on the inside of you because blood's been applied. Freedom and deliverance from bondages and sickness, death and disease and poverty. The freedom and the release of the deliverance from that isn't on the outside looking in. Honey, it's on the inside waiting for you to get it out. Hear the blood of Jesus speak over you tonight. Hear the blood of Jesus. Don't, my goodness, don't hear me. But that blood is saying those things for you. That blood is saying those things for you. And you know when you and I will get our breakthrough, when we line up with what he's doing and what he's saying and who he is. We've got to line up with who he is. And daggone it, I don't care what that doctor said. I appreciate the report and I'll do everything I need to do. You know, I'll go to the doctor, take my treatments, whatever I need to do. But by the end of that thing, it won't be medicine that healed me. It is the blood of Jesus because by his stripes, I am healed. He purchased that for me. He bought it for me. And that blood is too precious for me to allow that thing to take me out. That blood was too precious and cost too much for me to live bound up in my mind, feeling like I'm a no good, nobody, and nothing and a failure. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. Nothing shall separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that if I don't have a mother and a father, he shall be a mother and a father for me. Whatever you need, he is already supplied. But you've got to hear the blood of Jesus speak in your behalf. My goodness, we've got to begin to hear and understand. You understand, my goodness, when, when, when Bishop is preaching this word, when he's preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching, and man, he's not doing it to tear us down. He's doing it to show us who we really are in Christ. And if I can hang a hold of the word, man, I will become exactly, exactly where my confession and my belief and my faith are. Hallelujah. If you're here this evening and you don't know Christ, man, listen, he has already died for you. He's already paid the provision and the price for you. But if you're here tonight, listen, it's as simple as receiving the word of God. But if you'd like us to pray with you, I'd just like to, as we sing a verse of song, invite you to come up. And if you do, I, I want to just agree with you in faith. So if you would, uh, just come up here and stand and we'll come down and pray with you if anyone has any needs. Oh.